0: So, if you've got your Bibles open at Matthew 24, um, I have to say, not a comfortable or easy passage, but it's all part of uh, Scripture, and and indeed, um, the words of Jesus, as we're looking at the final uh, discourse, the final teaching of Jesus before he went to the cross. Um, then we come to these last two uh, significant chapters. Um, now, have you ever noticed uh, what fascination tourists have with churches. Wherever you go, I mean, tourists go and they like to go into churches. In fact, some churches even charge quite a lot of money now to actually go in and, and see, see them. Um, in fact, I used to have a work colleague who wasn't really religious at all. Uh, he didn't want anything to do with Christianity, but he loved churches. And he would often, on his holiday, go and look around churches. Well, that's the context uh, of this passage. Um, Jesus and his disciples are just leaving the temple. And and as they leave the temple, his disciples remark, Lord, look at this magnificent building. Isn't it fantastic? To which Jesus replies, I tell you, every stone will be overturned. Wow, I wonder how uh, they felt about that prediction. The Temple, the Temple, the Temple of the Lord, as uh, Jeremiah says, everyone was worshiping this temple was so fantastic, and every stone will be thrown down, which actually happened in a d seventy that temple, the second temple was destroyed uh, and has never been never been rebuilt. So in verse three we we begin uh, a little intimate insight into some of Jesus' private teaching. Now you notice, this is uh, actually directed only to his disciples. Uh, and they asked him privately, uh, when will this happen? And what, what will the signs be and uh, of, of, of these things? And the end of the age, and of your coming. Uh, I, I wonder if you'd, uh, just as Glyn said earlier, would like the opportunity to sit down and ask Jesus privately what he really meant by all that stuff. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, we have as close as we're going to get here, actually, um, because Jesus, the whole of this chapter is Jesus's, or the next two chapters are Jesus's reply to that those questions. So the questions are, when, what are the signs of the end of the age and of your coming? I think the first thing we need to know is where they are in order to have this discussion. They're on the Mount of Olives. They're on the Mount of Olives, and um, a very significant place. And, and if you look back to one of the later prophets, uh, the prophet Zechariah, in chapter 14, you will find these words. Um, it talks about, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives... East of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. And it goes on and, and then it says, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be only one Lord and his name the only name. So what Jesus is talking about is, is actually echoing some of the prophecies of the prophet Zechariah hundreds of years before that. And uh, I always think it's rather interesting as a, as a geologist that Jerusalem is actually right at the very northern end of what is known as the Great Rift Valley of Africa. So if you, where all the, you know, the, uh, the, the wonderful animals and stuff, right down the middle of Africa is this rift valley where the earth is splitting apart. Uh, very, very slowly, uh, just like in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, um, the earth is moving apart. We're getting four centimetres away from America every year. Did you know that? <laughs> Sorry, Margaret, probably put the fares up. Uh, but here, right at the tip of that, right at the north part of that uh, valley is actually the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. So, interesting uh, reflection on, on that, that it will be split in two, made into a great valley, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. So let's first of all look at the signs. Um, uh, You're not going to get all the answers from me today, but let's have a look at the signs that Jesus talks about as the first of their question. He uses the illustration of a fig tree. And um, a fig tree, like any other tree, goes through seasons depending on which part of the world. And uh, you know Jesus went to a fig at one time and it wasn't the season for figs. And he says, "Well, if you look at a fig tree, when the leaves become tender uh, and, and starts to grow, then then you know that summer is near." Well, well, all of us in England are uh, able to identify the signs of the seasons, aren't we? Uh, and we know what it's going to look like at different times of the year. We know that. And so Jesus says, "If you know how to identify the signs of the of the seasons, then if you look for the signs of the." end times, uh, then they're all there as well. So let's first of all define what we mean by the end times. Well, the end times uh, are actually the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Very simply defined, the end times are from um, about... uh, whatever it is, uh, 3 BC, or whatever, it's very difficult to date exactly when Jesus was born, um, from, the, from the turn of the millennium up until now. We are in the end times. So at the moment, the end times have lasted t- 2,000 years. Uh, when will they end? Well, I'm, that's what I can't tell you. <laughs> okay, so if you're looking for that answer, um, you need to go probably somewhere else. So we're in the end times, and Jesus is saying, during these end times, from my first coming until my second, these are some of the characteristic signs that will that will define what those times are going to be like. First of all, false Christs. False prophets, false messiahs, and uh, actually I, I just looked up on the internet about false Christs, and there are... Pages and pages and pages of people who uh, have claimed to be the Messiah. Um, I mean, some of them are well-known, some of them you would never have heard of. Um, Sun Young Moon, uh, who formed the uh, Unification Church, or the Moonies, and he has thousands and thousands of followers, and and you may have seen those big weddings, where thousands of brides and and bridegrooms are all lined up, and they're all, uh, I mean, it's a kind of a cult Uh, But he claims to be uh, the return of Jesus. Jim Jones uh, and the famous uh, Jonestown massacre, where he managed to get a cult around him, and um, and then um, David Koresh, the the Branch Davidian cult, uh, the big um, suicide, and you know there are. You could go on naming these people who believe. Uh, presumably they believe themselves that they are the Christ and have gathered people around them who also believe them. They're made remarkable people to, to gather people who believe them so firmly. They, I don't know what it is, but there are people who will follow all of these people. And Jesus says that's one of the signs of the end times, these false messiahs, false Christs and false prophets. So beware. Wars and rumours of wars. Well, I didn't uh, even bother to look up a list of wars. I mean, we know that, that there's... I don't think there's been any, any time in history when there haven't been wars in the world. There have been some bigger wars than and others. I mean, I imagine that um, during the First World War, the war to end all wars, uh, a lot of people thought this is the end of the age. And then they probably did again in the Second World War with the Holocaust... The end of the age, but we're still here. Um, so, wars and rumours of wars. But I think it's interesting that Jesus says there, do not be alarmed. It's easy to be alarmed, isn't it, about the threat of war. I mean, we've been, thankfully, protected from that in our country um, for the last 70 years. But I, I, I would hate to think what it's like to be under that threat. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. Kingdom. Well, that's a kind of related to wars, but, but even today, even, even in, the, in the news in the last weeks, there, are, there were talks of trade wars, and there are kingdoms that are rising, and, you know, uh, these, these tensions are going on and on and on, aren't they? Famines. The most recent famines in Nigeria, in Yemen, in Somalia. There are places in the world where people are literally starving to death, um, often related to war um, or natural disasters. And natural disasters. Um, earthquakes, Jesus said, the signs of the times, earthquakes. And I looked up on that, and there are literally thousands of earthquakes every day, some of whom uh, you wouldn't even notice. Occasionally we get one in England that you actually feel. Um, did anyone feel the last one? I think you did. But, uh, um, but sometimes you get a really massive earthquake, of course, which causes enormous damage. Most recent ones have been in Fiji and Sumatra. But don't forget in Guatemala, there's been a a natural disaster with the volcano. And it's all linked in with earthquakes and earth movements. So the signs of the times are pretty depressing, are they not? Signs of the ends of the age are all pretty depressing things. But Jesus goes on to say, When you see these things, you will know that they are birth pains. Don't you think I've always that's very significant. These are birth pains, they're not death knells. And I think if you, if you have this kind of negative attitude of where uh, creation is going, uh, you can see it as being the death of civilization. Jesus says they are birth pains. And I, I can't speak from personal experience, but I understand that that birth pains are pretty bad. Uh, certainly, Karen's fingernails in my hand were really painful. <laughs> You know? Um but actually birth pains are are kind of um made better by the fact that actually at the end of the day there will be a new life. So that actually you can look to what will be the outcome of those pains and don't uh dwell on the pains themselves. So um the, the these are the birth pains, these signs of something that is to come, not the death of something. But then Jesus goes on. Uh more signs, persecution. Of course, ever since Stephen stood up and, uh, and gave that speech and was martyred, the church has been persecuted uh, in pretty well every place. And today, some dreadful persecution of Christians is taking place in so many countries across the world. And if you look at uh, op- organisations like Open Doors or Barnabas Fund, you'll be able to find out uh, about how people are being treated because of their faith. And then he says, well, i put put an apostasy, people will turn away from their faith. People will turn away. When the going gets tough, uh, they say the tough get going, but actually when the going gets tough, some people fall away. Jesus told that, didn't he, in the parable of the sower, you know, the, 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 the seed um, the ones that go deep manage to withstand the hardships, but, but the ones on shallow soil don't manage to cope. So, a lot of people will fall away from faith, and we can see that happening, particularly in our country at the moment. Not linked with persecution, inter- interestingly. Linked with materialism, probably, and comfort. People don't feel a need for uh, a saviour if they don't feel unsafe. Um, but then, this rather shocking thing: the love of most will go cold. Not just the love of some, the sun, but the love of most will go cold. That's a really shocking warning, isn't it? Really. Um, and then, uh, the, the, the last sign in verse fourteen is this. Oh, I beg your pardon. But says Jesus, but despite all that, he who stands firm will be saved. So all these things are, are going to happen, and there is a call from Jesus to stand firm. Sometimes all you can do is stand. Sometimes you can't make progress, but you can stand firm. And then final sign, the gospel will be preached in all the world. That's a positive thing. That, that actually, there are people... Christians in, in nearly every country of the world. And there are people who are translating the scriptures and there are people who are going out into all the nations. So the gospel will be preached and then the end will come. So all these signs are pointing to the end of the age. Um, and then then finally there's this rather strange statement. the The abomination that causes desolation will appear. And then this little... In, in, in brackets, um, let the reader understand. Uh, oh, oh, yes, yes, I, I get that. Yes. Well, of course, it would have been very familiar to the Jewish readers because it's a phrase that's used by Daniel in Daniel chapter twelve, particularly in the Greek translation of the Scriptures, rather than the Hebrew, who uses exactly that expression: the abomination that uses desolation causes desolation. Now, as far as Daniel was concerned, probably Nebuchadnezzar was, was, was in mind because Nebuchadnezzar had raided the temple, taken all the gold and silver and taken it out to Babylon. Um, but then uh, in the future, a Greek king, Antiochus Epiphanes, he uh, desecrated the, the temple um, and uh, did profanities in, in there. So he is uh, that was in 168 BC. In 40 AD, Caligula, the Roman, dreadful Roman emperor, uh, wanted to put up an image of himself in the temple. And then finally, the emperor Titus in 70 AD destroyed the temple completely. And so, you know, which of those is the abomination? Well, they're all abominations, aren't they? And in fact, um, there are those who would suggest that that the present building on the Temple Mount is an abomination. You know what I'm talking about. the uh, the, the dome true. on the rock, where this this place where Christ was crucified is now the most one of the most significant Muslim uh, Islamic buildings. the the uh, the mosque, the dome on the rock, is there on the site where Jesus died, for a religion that denies that Jesus died and is the saviour. Uh, that must be an abomination to the Lord to see that. This is being recorded. So, uh, but I'm not being rude about people, but I'm just being honest. That the place where Jesus died, there's no longer a temple, but there's now a mosque. Um, now, the, the, the commentary that I was reading, uh, Donald Hagner, says this. Um, the signs of the end have been present to every Christian generation. And that's true, isn't it? Because throughout history, from when Jesus was born, right through to now, all of those signs have been present all of that time. Okay? Um, Of the end of the age. So, um, you know, there are people who predicted that Jesus is going to come back next week. Uh, The Jehovah's Witnesses, I think, said he would come back in 1914. And they found some way of getting round that to explain that he did come back, but nobody noticed, or... I'm not sure what it is. Um, but uh, anyway, so the signs of the, of the of the end of the age Jesus uh, has covered here. The signs of his second coming. When will we know that Jesus is coming back? Well, some more signs. The darkness of the moon. The sun and the moon are going to go dark. Isaiah 13, uh, there's a prediction of, of, of that. The stars are going to fall from the sky. Uh, Isaiah 34. And here it is in Daniel, everyone will see the Son of Man on the clouds. So when Jesus comes back, it won't be just some little cult in a, in a, a way-off place in the middle of uh, America that sees him. Everyone will see him. And we're told that it will be like lightning. So when from the east to the west, when you see lightning, it doesn't matter where you are, you see the flash go right across the sky, don't you? Everybody sees the lightning. So when Jesus comes again, everyone will see it. There'll be no dispute. Is that the real Jesus or is that a false one? There'll be no dispute whatsoever. And clearly that hasn't happened yet. So the question is, when? When will the end of the age come? When will Christ return? Well, I asked... um, Glyn to read on the next verse to verse 36. And the answer is, nobody knows. Just just so you know, nobody knows. Uh, not even the angels, and Jesus is not even the Son of Man. So this is a question that not even Jesus knew the answer to. So how anybody can predict when Jesus is coming back? I just don't know. So if anyone predicts that Jesus is going to come back, you know that they're a false prophet. If anyone tries to put a date on it, they're a false prophet. All the signs are there, yes, but nobody knows except the Father. But the difficulty in this passage is just one verse, really, verse 34. Where Jesus says, um, I tell you the truth, which in in Hebrew is Amen, Amen. Uh, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Ah, you see, that that therefore raises an expectation in people's minds that Jesus was going to come back, his second coming, very soon. In fact, when Matthew, uh, well, Jesus says here, this generation will not pass away. Well, that's within kind of like a forty years, isn't it? Really. Now, of course, the fall of the temple happened in AD seventy. And Jesus would be speaking around AD 30 when these things were said. So, yes, there would be people who were around to see the temple being destroyed. And a lot of those things would have happened. But Jesus didn't come back. He hasn't come back yet. Um, We are still waiting. Interestingly, I think, I think that some of the gospel writers and letter writers actually did really seriously expect Jesus to come back very soon. Um, Matthew did. Look in verse 29. It says, um, immediately, immediately after the stress of those days. Now that word immediately is rather strong. But if you look at this same passage in Mark, it doesn't have the word immediately. So uh, Matthew clearly had an expectation that this was going to happen very, very soon. Uh, Paul, when he wrote to the Thessalonians, uh, he he wrote things that made them all think that Jesus was going to come back very soon. So they all stopped working and they stopped doing all the things that they were doing and they sat around waiting for Jesus to come back. And then he had to write to Thessalonians to say, well, actually, no, no, uh, he is coming, but don't stop what you're doing. Just carry on. Do you see? There's, um, there's, there's a tension here between the imminence. Some people talk about this imminent return of Christ and then there's the, the problem of the delayed return. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Well, the answer is only God knows. Or maybe the gospel has not been preached to the end of the world yet. We, we don't know what God's reason is, but he hasn't yet uh, come back. But here is the encouragement. Jesus says, my words will never pass away. My words will never pass away. And we said earlier, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Jesus will come again because he said he would and everything else he said he would, he's done. There's just one thing yet that hasn't happened and that is when Christ comes again. Uh, and Hagner also writes this. It, uh, the, uh, talking about the second coming, it and it alone remains the hope of God's people. And by its very nature, there is no way it can possibly be missed. When Christ comes again, every eye will see. We were thinking um, one day every tongue will confess he is Lord. One day they will have to, because when Christ comes back in power, there'll be no mistaking. Then we look forward to the end of the Bible in Revelation 21 where there's this vision of the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, and whereas in the Old Testament it's the new heavens because there were these different layers of heaven, uh, in, the, in the New Testament it's simply heaven and earth and they're going to be one place. Heaven and earth will be the same place where God lives and where people live are going to be the same so when Christ comes again, uh, there will not be this separation between, uh, between earthly and heaven. We will all be, uh, all be together in this wonderful vision. So, um, no big answers there, but you might be saying, so what? And I'm looking at the clock because I'm going a little bit longer than usual. Um, I've put a few things about so what. First of all, avoid false prophets and pointless speculation. There are people who have worked out exactly what, what's going to happen when Christ comes back, or before. You know, there's some people who say that he's going to come back for a thousand years, and then, he, uh, and, and then there's going to be rapture, and people are going to be... All these different things, I'm not going there. Because uh, you can speculate for all you like, and you can build it on various uh, verses from the scripture, but actually nobody knows. Um, and, and I would also say that some people build their theology of these things from a series of novels, called the Left Behind Novels, which, they're novels. They're, they're, I've not read them, but they're novels. Anyone can write a novel, but they're not scripture. Um, so, you know, let's not let's not spend a lot of time arguing. There are churches that have fallen out between the pre-millennialists and the post-millennialists and the amillennialists, you know. Uh, life's, too, life's too short. Anyway, so, let's... Hold on to the hope of Jesus' words. I am coming again. I am coming. I will return. Uh, the birth pains, all these signs of the, uh, of the times, of the end of the age, are the birth pains for what is to come. And the promise is that Jesus will come again. There will be new life, everlasting life. Third thing is just live for Jesus now. You know, if we're always just worried about what's going to happen in the future and we're thinking about being zapped off to heaven or something, you know, that's not what we're called for. That is our hope uh, of, a, of, a, of a future uh, with God there, but we must live for Jesus now. John Wesley was once asked, uh, Mr. Wesley, what would you do if you knew Jesus was going to come back next Wednesday? And he picked up his diary and he said, Well, on Monday I'm preaching in this place and on Tuesday i he, he knew what he was doing, and everything he was doing was kingdom work. Uh, so that's the question to you. Would you change your plans if you knew that Jesus was going to come back next week? Or would you continue doing what you're doing now, which is, hopefully, living for the kingdom? Big question. And then finally, um, be ready. We don't know when he's going to come, but be ready. And now this is answered, I'm not going to steal any of the plunder from anyone who's doing the next bit, in five parables. So you might like to read what happens after the bit that um, uh, Glyn read. Um, there are five parables all about being ready for him when he comes. And that's what we're called to be. To be ready. To live for him now. Um, to avoid falseness. There's so many people who want to deceive us. Uh, but to live for him now. And I'll leave you with a quote uh, from Donald Hagner. The New Testament about teaching about eschatology, that's these things, end times, finds its proper outcome in ethical living rather than in the speculations of so-called prophecy conferences. What we're called to do is, is not to speculate and, and come up with lots of theories. We're called to live for Christ and to live the life that he wants us to live. And there's one other thing, of course, and that is pray. Yeah? In, in the Lord's Prayer, Adrian's just taking us through, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Central to the Lord's Prayer is the earthing of heaven. And, and so we do need to keep praying that. But also, of course, praying for all the people who are suffering. And if you're living in Syria or Yemen, you could well be—you uh, could well be forgiven for thinking that the end times are, are very imminent, because the, the suffering must be absolutely horrendous. Uh, um, but for us, we must—we must pray.